0: Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Dom. And Father Joseph's Sund. Hey, Father. Hi, Dom. Hi, Victor. Hello. And uh, before we get into our program today, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called Jimmy Yakin's Mysterious World. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. So I want to start off with some feedback that we've gotten on our recent episode uh, titled Leaving Last Pass. And this was we, some feedback we got in our Discord community, where it, which you can find at sqpn.com slash Discord. And in our Secrets of Tech channel there, the uh, user Roman Inquirer wrote, I have some doubts over leaving LastPass. No, just hear me out for a sec. Yes, they had bad breaches. However, because of that, one, because of that, it seems likely they will try extra hard to enhance security and eliminate this possibility in the future. Two, additionally, the breaches could have been the result of their being the main player in the password managing space. Biggest market share makes them the, big tar- the target of many more hackers to begin with. In other words, the same thing could happen to 1Password or Bitwarden if everyone suddenly moves to them. And then J-Dub joins in and said, I'm with you there, Roman Inquirer. There have been so many breaches, and it's a matter of time before every big password manager gets hit. So what do you guys think? Does he get a point?
1: I wouldn't want to explain like away good cybersecurity practices by saying, well, if you're big, you're going to get hacked. And if you do get hacked, it just means you're going to be extra safe the next time. You know, it's kind of the fool me once, shame on you; fool me twice, shame on me, type thing. Yeah, and it's like it's like Mark Twain said, you know, put put all your eggs in one basket and then watch that basket, right? So if all your passwords are in a password manager basket, you have to trust that whoever is is in charge of that is is watching that basket.
0: I'm a I'm a little leery of the idea that, you know, they'll they'll try extra hard. I'm not sure what that means. Like, I, I'm sure I'm sure the people working there are were already trying hard. Yeah. Like, uh, but, You know, that's not how hacking works, right? It's not that they're not they've been lax. It's that there was a hole in the, you know, the, in the security, right?
2: This kind of reminds me of you had the um, Apple versus Microsoft argument of um, the insecurities of Windows, versus macOS and the fact that macOS rarely had viruses, right? And they said, well, it's just because macOS has a lower market share, smaller, right? Right, um, Smaller market share. And so that's why no one's doing it. They've made the same arguments against Linux. Um, remind you that the entire internet's ran by
0: Linux. <laughs> right, every server.
2: <laughs> so I don't really put much to that argument. And so they're saying, well, it had a smaller market share, and that's why Mac OS was better instead of the fact that the executive executable file system was poorly designed and right. sustainable to viruses and errors. And so this has to do and I don't want to get deep into the weeds, but LastPass and BitWarner and OnePassword's designs aren't all the same. You're kind of comparing apples and oranges to do that as well for security protocol there.
0: I mean, I'm looking at a, at a list and this uh, statistics that show the, the the share of the password manager market. And LastPass was, I, I don't know when this was as of, but it was at 21% in 2022, I think it says. You know, and the next one was 1Password with 3.85%. And then there were a lot of others. So yeah, I mean, LastPass was the biggest guy on the block. I don't think that's why people go after it, because they're the biggest. I think they go after it because there's a vulnerability. It, I don't think it has anything to do with big or small. I think it has to do with, does it have a vulnerability in it that that I can get through? And so I don't think it's really a matter of being the main player. Uh, I mean, is it true? Like, Because uh, well, that was one of the assertions that were made everybody's got vulnerabilities. It's just a matter of whether every, the people are trying to find them or, or, you know, are motivated to find them. I mean, is it, it do you, what do you think? Is it true that LastPass got caught just because there was more people banging on the door?
1: You know, it's like, uh, what's that? Was it Eugene Kaspersky who, uh, when they, when they had a big breach or something said, okay, you want, you want a completely safe, you know, computer system, put it in a room and unplug it from everything. And then mm-hmm. it will be completely safe. Right. You know, and turn it off. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's my my best ransomware protection, right? Is my hard drive that's backed up, unplugged, and locked in a safe. No nothing's
0: touching it. So, I mean the the bottom line is I think it was what Roman Inquirer is trying to say, and and J Dub probably with him is I'm not leaving LastPass because there's no reason to that you know, that this was uh You know, this could have happened to anyone, and therefore, it doesn't mean that LastPass is particularly bad. Um, But my response was, it wasn't so much the fact of the breach, it was the way LastPass dealt with the breach, Mm -hmm. which was to cover up, minimize, and delay letting bad news get out. Agreed?
2: Yeah, and... I'll just ask for his feedback six months later with their next breach that comes about.
0: (laughs) Right. Cause it wasn't LastPass's first breach either. That's the thing. But yeah,
1: it's it's like just an honest question here. So I don't use a password manager, but I do turn on two factor authentication using the authenticator Mm -hmm. apps and stuff. So at this point it doesn't really bother me too much if my, you know, passwords stored in my browser and you know, I still flip over to the app to grab my my little, you know, token code and stuff. So, are we getting to a point where that's more secure than than having a, a password manager that you know just passes passwords?
0: Well, or
1: is there some combination of the two? Is there is there a password manager that's integrated with an authenticator oh, app yeah. that'll do both? Oh, there is. Okay, they all. I think the most
0: of them do it now. They have the one time passwords. Like one password, you can put it in there. Yeah. Some some folks, some cybersecurity folks say you shouldn't be have your your uh two factor inside your what password manager because if if the password yeah. manager gets breached they've got both keys uh, i'm i'm not as worried about such things i'm not a high high value target and i'm not um you know I, and i have pretty secure password on my one password vault all that sort of thing so i'm not as worried about it i my my balance between security and convenience has shifted towards more convenience in that case. But certainly, you know, having two-factor really makes a big difference in in the that security. So even if you had, you know, I think the big thing is really when we start moving to something like pass keys and biometric authentication and hardware pass key, which is, you know, your phone being the authenticator and that sort of thing with your biometrics, that sort of stuff is really going to make this sort of thing in less important, like, you know, because it's not going to be about storing an alphanumeric code somewhere that someone can get. Um, it's going to be much more complex than that. All right. So, I, I mean, in the end, it's really, it's, it's up to you and your, your decision and well, your balance between, like I said, security and convenience. And if you feel like you're secure enough at LastPass, I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't, you know, leave. Um, but for those who do want to leave and they don't feel secure at LastPass anymore, that's why we recorded that episode to give you your options. So. Yep, yeah, I th- I think even if he sticks around with
2: LastPass, obviously, still do your um your normal security steps, right? Of, right. Yes, they're still there. Make sure you go through LastPass. You're changing all your passwords. You're changing your master password to your vault and all of that after that breach. And honestly, if I'm going to keep using them, I might be regularly doing my master password um, every few months that I'm changing that with LastPass, given their track record. Right, right. Even though with most passwords managers, you probably should be doing that anyway, too. So.
0: Right, yeah. The problem is, is the that one that master password is so good that changing it and remembering it every time is such a pain. Yeah, but yeah, but you only have to change it in one place, and that's the big the big benefit of that under your keyboard, right? Yeah, that's right. Keep mine, so in case anyone breaks into my office, just look into my keyboard. So, (laughs) all right. Well, thank you both, Roman Inquirer and J Dub, for your feedback and uh, helping us have this conversation. Let's move on to our first segment. This segment is sort of a follow-on from the last time the three of us were together back at the beginning of January. We did an episode where we talked about the when old tech is better than new. So, you know, when the, when old versions of technology were better than what the, the new stuff that someone came up with and invented and, and and gave us. And we had a bunch of fun, uh, you know, interesting things to say about that. And we had this second part of the conversation that turns out we didn't have time for <laughs> because we spent so much time talking about the first. So I wanted to come back to that and talk about the worst examples of tech upgrades that were big failures. Um, and I mean, some of this is just a little fun nostalgia, But some of it is actually there's also some instruction instructiveness in this and some 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 information in this, which is to, you know, keep in mind that advancements progress is not always progress. It's not always good. And sometimes we leap to the next new thing and it's not necessarily going to work out for us. And so some of these will be some good examples of areas and places and things that we need to be careful of and so why don't we get started with you father what uh what is your first example of a tech upgrade that was a big failure
2: i mean it's the biggest failure of technology (laughs) of all time i think (laughs) dude you're getting a dell and it has windows me on it (laughs) windows me also dell happened to do their biggest um, advertising campaign ever right when they put the worst operating system Microsoft has made <laughs> on all their computers. So this was, um, windows and me background of this was, um, Microsoft was trying to come up with something between windows 98 and windows 2000. Right. And right. it had to do with them switching over from the DOS file system. If you remember your old, um, C prompts and yep. your really old computers, um, Windows up to that point had ran um, with that as the underbody of it. And so they were trying to do that to move over to what's called the NT file base, which was what Windows XP onward was running on. Um, Your current Windows now is still on NT, or a version of NT. And so they tried to, like, halfway it, and it didn't work. (laughs) That was when you most often saw the... um, Window that popped up that told you that Windows has performed an illegal operation, right? Um, over and over and over again. It was just a bad operating system. Um, that was also the um, blue screen of, screen of death you got quite often. That was kind of the origin of that joke. Was Windows M E.
0: Right, right. Not the last place, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I
2: added the second onto that, which was the precursor to Windows 7 was Windows Vista. Not as bad as Windows ME, but they didn't learn their lesson.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was it was another big underlying they were doing the uh, the foundation of the structure, another big move forward they were trying to do and it just didn't work out uh, as well either like with that. Yeah, I remember I remember lots of crying from my Windows using friends with Vista. So. And then the
2: honorable mention we're really picking on microsoft but <laughs> he, they messed up a lot windows 8 the original when they dropped the start menu was
0: bad <laughs> right right they had a backtrack on that one yeah a lot of a lot of these windows upgrades were not great xp was a good version 2000 wasn't bad it was okay it was it was really a, a sort of a little bit of an upgrade from xp um I really, I don't have a lot of experience with the newer Windows versions. I've really kind of moved away from that when I stopped working for the church. <laughs> but
2: I'm actually, I was a skeptic of Windows 11. I've actually been a big fan. You know, it's not my daily driver, but yeah. when I do use it, namely for gaming. Um, but when I do use it, I know I went back on my whole... Linux or gaming on Linux thing, but, <laughs> but mainly on gaming is when I use my Windows machine. Um And I've been impressed with Windows 11. It's not bad.
1: Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, I Windows 11 was on my list just because, um, you know, it, we had a PC that was upgraded to it um before I could, you know, jump over the room and go, no, don't click that button. Stuff and I guess I mean it's it's fine, but it looks really goofy, you know, to my Windows Mm -hmm. ten sensibility. Which I guess it looks more like a Mac, which is why it kind of looks like a a toy to me. But the one thing I will say about Windows is that you know, as you move from version to version, in almost all the cases, your your software that you have will still run on the new version, which you can't always say about a Macintosh when they do their OS upgrades.
0: Yeah, Mm, it's only been a couple times when they did the sixty four bit upgrade.
1: That was really a. a I mean, I, I I have a lot of audio software, and I'm always seeing it. it's like, don't upgrade, you know, uh, our, our plugins and stuff don't work on the new, you know,
0: plugins. Mount, mountain yeah.
1: Lion, or you know, or this, you know, we have to, you know, redo stuff for that. So
2: I've been know. impressed with they have to do a little bit of an emulation layer between the old software that was running on the Intel chip versus the ARM chip, and I've been impressed that I don't yeah. even notice that it's doing anything. Actually, some of it runs better on the ARM chip than it was on the Intel chip. chip to be honest,
0: yeah, I have to say about the, the the thing about the like the audio software and those sorts of things. Some of that has to do with the fact that a lot of that software is originally written for Windows and has been ported, and the port doesn't quite isn't quite compatible completely, and so <laughs> it breaks easy. And but I get yeah. it, I get it. It's it's part of being in the minority software you know position that Apple's in. Victor, back to
2: your one criticism on Windows 11. The other thing was that um, them suddenly arbitrarily deciding um, what hardware wasn't worthy of Windows yeah. 11. Th- that could be listed on the failure, upgrade failure things, um, yeah. that they limited their market
1: purposely, um,
2: But just, arbitrarily. But arbitrarily yeah. just seemed silly to me.
1: Yeah, Yeah. like our like our laptop that has like a Dorito chip and it's not powerful at all. That was okay for Windows 11, but my like you know, i seven eight core thirty two gigabyte you know thing isn't ready for Windows 11 somehow
2: because it's a Series eight or something, right? Yeah, Yeah. whatever.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 So, well, let's let's round it out and I'll criticize Microsoft too, and then we'll move on from there because (laughs) because my big one is the upgrade. This is a Mac software. The upgrade from Microsoft Word 6 for Mac to Word 6 for Mac from 5.1, but way back in 1994, Microsoft Word 5.1 was efficient. It was useful. It was fast. It ran on the Mac hardware of the time, which was not very fast. Let's be honest. Uh, and then six, and oh, and it was looked like native Mac software. And then Microsoft Word 6 came along, and it was bloated. It was slow. It sucked up all the memory. It was, it, and it looked like a port from Windows, it like a Windows app running on my Mac. And I remember back in those days when people were, they were holding on to those Microsoft Word 5.1 three and a half inch floppy disks like they were gold, like you pry these from my golden hands. I am not going to Word 6. And it wasn't until uh, Office 98 came out, I think it was, where where a lot of people I know finally w- agreed to move on from 5.1. People were using Nicest Writer; they were using all these other word processors that were available then. Word Perfect, Word yeah. Perfect, right, right, which was uh, there are still Word Perfect fans out there. Let's be clear; I I know of a few of them, including a uh, one particular. Uh, Superior Court Judge in Georgia that uh, I knew on on Twitter. Ninety percent <laughs>
2: of them work in um,
0: Catholic parish offices. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, Microsoft Word Six was was just one of the worst software upgrades uh, among Mac software. And there's a lot. There's a lot of comp- competition on that. But that was the one. When I was thinking about this, that's the one that stood out for me. So, Father, what's your uh, your next uh, worst example of a tech upgrade? E textbooks. Um, And this
2: started really they were starting to push it actually when I entered college in 2005, which there wasn't really the technology yet for it. Right. You would have been reading it on a LCD screen laptop that your eyes would be hurting for studying from hours. (laughs) There wasn't the iPad around yet. The Kindle hadn't even come out yet. right? Right. And they were trying to already force this on people and some colleges actually tried to adopt it. Um, and we'll get into one of the reasons we think that's for, but then even when they pushed it with the iPad, right? You had, um you had a, uh, what was that called? iTunes uh, U was I that books, what it was? I I bo- there. But they tried to do eBooks with textbooks. I tried to teach from a few teacher editions with the, and they just, they were bad. Yeah. I'd be I'd be in the middle of flipping pages and, you know, I would lose stuff. Um, they just weren't ready for it. And then, Dom, I think you had a comment on yes. one well, of your big reasons
0: there. The big reason they wanted to go to e-textbooks even before they were available, you know, the technology was ready for it, was because of the, the, the secondary market. When I was in college in the mid 90s. You know where where did you, where did you get most of your textbooks? You went to the bookstore, the college bookstore, and you went right to the used books textbook yep. section first, and if there were used ones available, you bought that. If there weren't used ones available, you'd buy the new one but God forbid you'd buy the new one because they were ten times as expensive and then of course the the publisher would come out with a new edition that changed three words in chapter seven, and the professor said, you have to get the new edition, and nobody that was that was how they used to get around having to. Yeah, the, the used textbook market. And these books were even 20 years ago, 25 years ago, they were a hundred dollars for a one semester textbook. So they, they, they needed to make people get rid of the used textbook market. And so how do you do that? E-textbooks can't sell them, right? You can only buy them once and they're licensed to you directly. And, you know, you don't, you can't sell it to the next person because they have copy protection and all that nonsense. And I just, and students didn't go for it they found every way possible and students yep. are very clever about this <laughs> oh, they are to get around it they, they they found every analog hole every way to you know print out the the texts and sell them to their friends and go you know five of them go in on one textbook and print out a chapter a week or whatever it was that they had to do but they got around it um and i i yeah. don't know where the e-textbook market is now i'm, I'm kind of removed from it but it's Based. pretty bad
1: they still charge you. Yeah. Or they Remember still how it.
0: Amazon got big originally,
2: like what Amazon started as the, and people used it most as was a used textbook market.
0: Well, later on. Yes, that was, that was, a it, it had a big used textbook uh, marketplace for a time. My wife, Melanie was a college professor and she would, She would have these books that she would have for her classes that she'd get from, you know, all the publishers. that want her to use their book. And we made some pretty good money reselling those Mm -hmm. on on Amazon until they cut us off. So, but yeah, they used to
2: have um, the thing that Amazon would send you, give you a box and you could enter in all your textbooks and they would just give you some amount for it. And you didn't have to sit around and wait to sell them, which was really great as a college student that. You know, give me five bucks for each textbook that I paid a hundred <laughs> bucks for, and right. whatever it's going to get me beer next night or whatever, right? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I think so, I
1: think textbooks should be included in the cost. I mean, college has become so prohibitively expensive as it is, and so you're you're paying for the class, and then the class says you have to buy a two hundred dollar ebook or whatever. You know, which is the the cost of sharing that ebook is like zero dollars. Granted, there's research and stuff that goes into it. But the college should be covering that cost as part of the tuition. I Remember think, you know, your, yeah. when your
2: professor writes the um book also, you're paying for his salary that he wrote that book under, and then yeah. you have to turn around and buy the book. And <laughs> yep. then and then the public university, right? Your your state's gonna tax you on the book you bought too. So
0: <laughs> Think Yeah. Bound to flesh. <laughs> so yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. The e textbooks. The big failure. I mean, maybe, I mean, inevitably someday they'll fix it. And that's, that's a lesson with a lot of these is someday they, they, the tech is ready or it gets better or is fixed. But this, this was when it just was the wrong time or the wrong tech or the wrong reasons. And, uh, you know, we got to fix later. I, you know, at some point do, do paper books go away? I don't know, but. You know, we'll we'll see. Uh, th- there needs to be a better way to do e-textbooks than this. And I think maybe you're on some, Victor, is if if the if the schools were paying for it, they wouldn't be one hundred dollars a textbook. No. <laughs> yep. yep. And and here's the other thing with
2: the paper book. When I have my kids reading, right, I have them reading Augustine's Confessions right now. They can't be sending out Snapchats while they're reading Augustine's <laughs> Confessions on the paper yeah. book.
0: <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> So my uh, next one is the Sony mini disc audio format. Sony mini, mini discs came out uh, mid to late nineties, say maybe around the turn of 2000, somewhere around there. I don't know exactly the date. And they were, they were a Marvel, they were technological Marvel. They were, you know, the, The the next step up from audio cassettes and CDs, CDs you couldn't record on at the time. This was a portable, recordable digital format with, you know, with interchangeable discs. And it was going to be the next big thing. It was going to replace CDs. You're going to buy your audio, your Uh, music on them.
1: I don't think that was ever Sony's intent. Sony was so invested into CDs. I think that they intended the mini disc as a niche product for you know, creators, it was very useful to, you know, people who were musicians and creating music at the time. If you were a singer, you had a band, you could create a digital copy on a portable audio recorder, hook a microphone in and, you know, yeah. bring that to your sessions and stuff. I don't think that Sony ever intended it to be a mass market, you know, media, just because they had their CD business. They had even their cassette business at the time. Um, I think it was intended to be a niche product for for audio recorders, but um, yeah, so it wasn't ever going to take a, uh, you know, when a CD costs, you know, 35 cents or whatever, to 40 cents to manufacture, I don't think it was ever intended to okay. be uh, a, a mass market consumer product, but it, you know, my mom was a singer and, and had one and recorded herself and stuff. You know, at that time I was into like, you know, four track recorders and other <laughs> digital audio recorders and I had CD burners and stuff. So, which were, you know. Huge things at the time, um, but yeah. So yeah, so that's just my my counter counterpoint that um, you know maybe not not meant as a as a consumer you know mass consumer product perhaps.
0: The, uh, so I'll grant you that that maybe they were. I mean, I, I remember being hyped at the time as and maybe it wasn't Sony yeah. doing the hyping, but um, but it, the timing was bad because while while maybe stuck around for a long time in in very niche uh areas um there re- they were it was almost immediately followed by you know um digital audio players like mp3 players yeah. the early ones before the ipod even but you know like the diamond rios and the archons and the these creative various, yeah y- yeah creative you know and it really just got supplanted by the, the these cheap digital audio recorders and um it stuck around in journalism for a while. I know that there was a lot of those sorts of things, mm-hmm. and in music production. But uh, I know that like Father Roderick, one of the founders of SQPN, um, his original podcasts were all in in two thousand five. Were all on a, a Sony Mini Disc. I remember that. Wow. So yeah, um, early days. Early days. Yeah. There's a. I'll put a link to an article in the show notes from Slate which is about how uh, Radiohead, the band they recently well not you know in the last several years, not twenty years ago, they released all these old recordings because someone stole a a bunch of nineties era mini discs with all this unreleased music on it, and so they just released the music to kind of make sure no one could make money off of it basically. Um. So the ex- the the person who stole it reportedly demanded one hundred and fifty thousand dollar ransom in exchange for what, releasing it.
2: Was he going to upload it to Napster?
0: <laughs> well, yeah. it wasn't that long ago. The uh, it was this was I think two thousand nineteen. So it wasn't. Oh, that wow! It was this was post Napster, and uh, and so instead, the band released all eighteen mini disc recordings on Bandcamp, which is a uh, a streaming music service that you yeah. can. A very
2: uh, fine
1: one. Yes.
2: Do you remember the little toys, the clips? Oh, yeah. The little music, like 20 seconds worth, <laughs> that became kind of a
0: yes. Yeah.
2: Thing, I get where you could, you know, listen to 20 seconds of the most annoying 20 seconds of Britney Spears <laughs> hit me baby one more time over and over <laughs> again.
0: Wait, wait. Yeah. The most annoying section, which one would that be? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, baby, baby.
1: No, when my kids were, when my older kids were growing up, their video now was this thing. It looked like a Sony Discman, but it had like this little one inch, like black and white or four color display on it. And it played a proprietary thing. And I actually bought the kit that if you had a CD burner, you could make your own video now like discs. So I would like make our home movies on the video now discs so that they could. Watch them on this incredibly defunct. If if you've never seen a video now disc, look at a YouTube video of one, and you'll you'll feel better that you have a smartphone and, and YouTube now. <laughs>
0: the, the things we did yeah. with, the, with that that old technology.
1: So, uh, Victor, what's your next one you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I, I think I'm just, this is going to be like my old man yells at cloud moment, but I, I'm <laughs> just I'm getting sick of like everything that has notifications on it. Like everything has notifications like your phone, your car, uh, you know, your your appliances. Yep. And, and sometimes they tell you something like useful. But like, you know, it used to be if you drive your car, you'd be like, oh, it's running kind of rough. Or how long has it been since my last oil change? It's like, oh, I'll think about that later. But now it's like boom like your car needs an oil change every time you turn on the car boom you need an oil change and sometimes it's useful like you know if you have a tire that's that's going flat or something it can notify you of that but it just seems that there's a lot of noise and everything's competing for your attention nowadays and and um i remember when technology was just kind of it wasn't so all pervasive and it was something that you could engage with and then you know disengage with but it just seems as we've upgraded you know now it seems that that notifications and you know Things popping up has just become part of the part of the bargain, the expectation, and you know, do do I need to, you know, see all these different notifications? No, I don't.
0: It feels like everything's beeping at me all the time. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I don't know. My watch tells me when I need to pray morning prayer, daytime (laughs) prayer, evening (laughs) prayer. When I need to be going to bed.
0: So my fridge, you know, I I get it. My fridge will ding when the door gets left open too long. I, and and you can turn it off when you're putting the groceries away. I get that. But then you know that dings and then the the freezer dings and then You know, the the echo, it will ding randomly. Hey, hey, just thought you might want to buy (laughs) some from Amazon right now. Like Shush. And then, you know, I I agree. And then the 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 smoke detectors will ding every once in a while. And yeah, everything just feels like And you talk about the like the low the low tire thing in the car. Every time I get in my car, it's winter. The tires will be lower. You know, like, can I can I adjust when it tells me? Because it's constantly telling me. I just yeah. We get notification fatigue and we stop paying attention, just like car alarms. Do you do you know anyone who goes to look anymore when a car alarm is going off? Nobody does. This is the most useless technology now because everyone has car alarm fatigue because there's too many false alarms. I still use it to find my car in a big parking lot.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah, there's that.
2: Um, But I'm appreciative of the um, low tire pressure notification because. Recently, it probably saved me from a tire exploding on me that I was able to see that the tire went down to 15 pounds and immediately go, yeah, let's pull over. (laughs) Right. So I think that is a good notification (laughs) that um, I'm willing to put up with the cold weather, weird stuff of it for when it does work and it helps me.
0: But that's the thing is, that's the time when it's when you need it to work. But if you if it's constantly doing the boy who cried wolf every time you start your car, you might ignore it, and that's the danger: is you d- you ignore the the time when it really matters because you you have notification fatigue. though I'm with Victor on this one. I'm 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 old man yelling at a cloud saying stop the notifications.
2: And, and on the same vein, so we can all be shaking our fist here. <laughs> Apple's ruined their notifications like they you don't get them anymore, even when you change the settings and you get so many of them that you don't care about them. And then they they yeah, it's just a mess.
0: Right. It's either too too few or too many. Yeah. Yeah. I they, agree. It used to be, you
2: know, when it was only doing notifications for my phone calls and my text and I usually turned emails off, but it was. Nice. I knew I had a text message.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I want to be notified by some things. It's just there's so many apps think that they need me to notify me of everything like CNN. Let me just give you a clue. Anything to do with the Kardashians is not breaking news. Okay. Just or any celebrity. There's no celebrity news. That's breaking news that needs to go on the screen of my, of my phone. So I've turned off News notifications. You know, someone said, Oh, all those poor people in Turkey and Syria. I'm like, what happened? Because I didn't know, because I've turned up yeah. breaking news on my phone. Like it just it drives me crazy. I same thing with actually texting with my family. I I, I no one <laughs> in my family listens to this podcast. My with my siblings, I have, I always hide the alerts on the message group the message group because my family will start Texting and that's like going back and forth, man. My phone is blowing up, like, for nothing. (laughs) Stop. Shush. Yeah, it drives me crazy a little bit. You hit a, you hit a nerve here, Victor. Yeah, I need to
1: mute, (laughs) mute the conversation, but then I need to set a notification to remind me to unmute the conversation so I don't miss something. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Oh man. All right. Uh, I guess it. Let's see whose turn is it now. Oh, it's back to you, Father. What's your uh, next one? we're going to pick on microsoft again. <laughs> okay, good.
2: Internet Explorer to Edge, and we're not talking about when Edge decided to go Chromium in the r- latest version. Again, we're good. talking about yeah. <laughs> the, we're talking about the Windows 8 version of Edge that didn't know if it was a tablet or a computer wasn't compatible with Internet Explorer. Was just a nightmare. They really didn't know what they wanted it to be. They didn't know if they wanted it to be a replacement of Edge or of Internet Explorer or not, and that hiccup made it Internet Explorer live way too long.
0: Well, that's the thing, actually. As good, I was going to say, is Internet Explorer was a was a pretty bad browser to begin with. It was it, horrible. It, yeah, the <laughs> virtue of being on a many, many computers. But I mean, I remember back in the battle days of programming websites where you had to set up separate versions for IE yeah. versus everybody else. Um, and, and frankly, bad Microsoft browsers gave birth to Firefox and, and uh, Chrome really Google Chrome. But uh, yeah, the edge may kind of made Explorer live longer than it should have because they just didn't have a good replacement for it. Yeah, that's a good one. A good
2: in, one. On, in all honesty, with their marketing, somehow the new Edge caught on, but I think they should have probably just
0: got rid of the Edge name and <laughs> did something else. But... Right, right, because it kept the, the same stigma. So I'm going to pick on Apple, and I'm going to say the, the Apple Watch Edition. Now, when you, if you guys all remember, when Apple Watch first came out, they had, you know, like normal, expensive versions, like, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, steel and I don't know, plastic or whatever it was. No, they didn't have plastic, not Apple. But <laughs> then they had the gold-plated $10,000 Apple Watch that was for all pe- the people that had more money than cents, meaning like celebrities and billionaires. And they had they people would go out. They spent $10,000 on it. And then in a year or two, the, the the watch was obsolete. It was time for a new ver- new ep- uh, new uh, series, new um, edition of the watch. And what a waste! Ten thousand dollars. You couldn't upgrade it. You couldn't do anything with it. Just throw it away. Well, if Kim Kardashian was wearing
2: it, she could turn around and sell it for fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. right. Right. Because it was on Kim's sweaty wrist. I guess.
1: <laughs> how much? How much would that gold be worth now?
0: I know what's the market yeah, for gold like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't think it's super super hot at the moment, but I could be mistaken.
0: Not 10,000. I mean, yeah. the, so the Apple Watch is a good technology, but this idea of the watch as as high fashion accessory that, you know, in this in the luxury brand space was just a terrible idea on Apple's part. It was I don't know what they were thinking. Why they thought this was a good idea. I'd love to sit in you know, to to read the, you know, the 10, 20 years from now, the memoir that somebody writes about this terrible idea at Apple, um, why they someone thought a $10,000 gold watch was a good idea. It just, just boggles me. I, I, digital yeah. watch.
1: Gold I mean, digital if, watch. Yeah. If they didn't have the supply, you know, the supply chain set up to sell, you know, millions of them, you would raise pricing, you know, make it inaccessible to everyone. But, you know, they're, they're early adopters or you know, create manufactured scarcity or whatever, you know, the perception of, you know, of, of luxury or value there. But so I, yeah, from a marketing perspective, it, it may make sense, but still just if anybody spends that amount of money on anything, you know, you'd expect it to to last. I would, I would think for more than a year or two. Right. But, Exa- exactly. Yeah.
0: It was such an ephemeral consumption it was it wasn't you weren't investing anything you were just consuming yeah. it's conspicuous consumption
1: yeah it's not like samsung came out with like a twenty thousand dollar blue like dvd player or something <laughs> it was solid gold and yeah and you're like oh this is great
0: yeah so vicky why don't you give uh, take us to the last one here and then we'll uh, move on to yeah, uh, the rest of the show
1: i'm i'm actually i'm pretty forgiving when it comes to to tech you know and stuff so i, I really don't don't have one i've had like personal upgrades. Like I had a bad iPhone upgrade that, you know, when I would, um, whenever I would go to plug it in, it would suddenly like turn into like, it would get very, very, very hot. And then then all this other stuff. And then I got concerned by that. So I was like, maybe I'll give this Android thing a try at that point. And that's the thing too, is like, I'm I'm pretty forgiving up to a point with technology, but if you like flip like the switch, if you like go just one step too far, I'll like abandon your product forever. And just like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> go to your competitors and stuff. So that was what got me off Apple and onto to Android at that point. Um, but yeah, there's those moments are are very very rare. Okay,
2: very good. I, I have one last one on. Okay. the The early VoIP was my last one of just before the internet's yeah. bandwidth was ready for VoIP, and so 2005, 2006, they were trying to push VoIP. And it didn't work. uh,
1: That stands for voice over IP. Yeah, sorry. um, Internet enabled phone calls using your internet connection or IP protocols rather than a landline, you know, good Uh, old. Yeah, which is pretty
2: standard now for most landlines. A lot of telephone companies are doing it over your modems now because the bandwidth of the internet can handle it. In 2005, you knew someone was calling you from a VoIP because it sounded like yeah it sounded terrible a tin can yeah it was bad
0: yeah i was an early adopter with Vonage i um, oh yeah when i was first married and we got we had a Vonage number um i i got it for uh, a business reason and yeah i mean it was primitive it was getting better i had pretty good um bandwidth where i was but um yeah it's not like it is today where you know, you can, we can we can do what we're doing now, which is streaming a three way yeah. video call at four, you know, t- uh, 1080p or whatever it is. Um, it's it's much better now. I mean, even doing this compared to four years ago when we were doing these over Skype, and Skyping was a verb for sounding like a Cylon and you know, <laughs> yeah, dropping uh you know frames and the sound going out and all that sort of stuff. It's much more rock solid these days. Well, even the I
2: hate to praise COVID, but I think the advancement in a lot of the video technology happened because people started using it. You've seen the quality since 2020 just
0: immensely better.
1: Yep, that's true. That's true. So we end on a a note where we have an example of something that's better than it was.
0: Yes, all due due to a global pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) good night everybody (laughs) (laughs) all right before we move on to our (laughs) headlines i want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of tech including michael c joseph o keith m Wojciech d and william m their generous tax deductible donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at starquest and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So, Victor, I saved this one for you. I've had this headline uh, hanging around yeah. for a while because uh, you said you wanted to talk about this. The headline is mysterious antennas are appearing in Utah's hills and officials are stumped. So the story is that these these antenna installations, that's an antenna, uh, a computer box, a solar panel. um, in these inaccessible locations, not, this says hills, like these are, well, in the East, we call them mountains. Uh, you know, in these installations that they said were drilled into solid rock, these are not ephemeral fly by night, someone's dropped them their sorts of things. And there's a lot of them, and they're having to go up and pull them down as they find them because they're on public lands and they don't have permission. And no one knows what they're for, or what they're doing. Victor, you got a theory?
1: yeah so at first, I thought they were actually like some people doing something kind of cool, like maybe setting up their own mesh network in case there's like a grid down situation. they can still you know text their family in the neighboring town or, or call them and stuff. but um reading the articles uh it you know the, and they mentioned basically that you can use these sorts of uh you know antennas and and uh you know solar panels and stuff to mine uh like helium, which is a type of cryptocurrency. I don't understand exactly how how it works, but this is the the way you do it. And so I think it might just be people trying to trying to make a buck or two, um, which isn't isn't as cool. But, uh, you know, you have to admire their their dedication um, to it. And what, what's what's kind of strange, too, is that there hasn't been, you know, the story ran initially in early January. But I, I was looking around and I haven't been able to find like an update to the story, um, you know, in the next month if they have if they zeroed in. So. I think the explanation that people are are settling on is that it's some sort of cryptocurrency mining type situation um, rather than any sort of end times prepper, you know, <laughs> uh, second Internet type thing, which would which would be kind of cool, too.
0: Which is weird, because in the yeah. story, they say they can't be making enough money like with the on this crypto mining, this crypto, given how much each of these installations has to cost you know it's
2: kind of wild hold on you're assuming that the crypto minor miners are logical thinkers (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) well there's that i just i i i think it might be you know i i don't know some sort of criminal enterprise thing i don't know it's like
1: yeah i I mean the the last week where we have balloons like flying (laughs) overhead and stuff too now i mean it could be it could be anything anybody could be leaving these things up there right
0: it is Utah, and we know that
1: in yeah. Skinwalker Ranch is in Utah. So oh, maybe that's it, right.
0: It, you know, as Jimmy Akin and I always say, it's always aliens.
1: <laughs> or, or, or trans-dimensionals. <laughs>
0: Trans-dimensional beings. <Yeah. laughs>
1: could be Elon Musk. It, it, could, yeah. it, it could be Elon
0: <laughs> also at work. Uh, it's a Twitter thing. So, yeah, it's, I, I mean, if anybody's got any good theories, I'd love to hear them because uh, th- this, is, this is a stumper. This is a weird one. So let's move on to our next headline, which is related to our feedback this week, which is uh, Bitwarden password manager spoofed. And so the, the, what's really going on here is it's not that Bitwarden itself has been breached at all. It's that criminals are setting. It's nothing new. They're setting up uh, fake websites that look like the Bitwarden site or other potentially other um Password manager sites at a time when a lot of people are looking to move to another password manager, and so they're trying to trick people into downloading their software, which they presumably have a backdoor into, so they can steal all your passwords instead of the real thing. So, um, what do you guys think of this? Is this, this isn't is this really a Bitwarden problem, or is this just an internet problem?
2: They named it Bitward. I think was what happened. <laughs> so it was. With both an internet problem and both a um, person problem, right? Yeah, the classic thing that the problem with your computer is sitting between the computer and the chair, right? right? Right. And so it's it's both an education problem and an internet problem. I don't think you can blame Bitwarden for being spoofed, though. Um, right. They're still so, like I'm not any less secure from using Bitwarden because this happened. And so that that's why I don't blame Bitwarden, right? I my passwords are safe even though this happened. So you can't put the blame on them.
1: Yeah. At work, I mean at work, you know, this is a this is a huge problem for any large company, but at work, they'll send, you know, emails every month or two that say, hey, you have a package waiting, or, you know, click here for your gift card or something, you know, and it's and it's the Know the security team within the company is Mm -hmm. basically, and if you click on it, you have to take some some online training. But if you report it, you get a nice little congratulations, well job, well done note from our cybersecurity. No, (laughs) no, and you don't get a package either.
0: Congratulations, you you sniffed out our test. Here's a gift card. Click, ha
2: ha,
1: (laughs) I
0: got
2: you (laughs) now. Yeah, our IT office just. Emails me back like, "Oh, I'm shocked the techie priest figured us out."
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's good. So there's another headline too about uh, password managers. Keep key pass, which is the uh, open source one. They uh, there's been a claim that they have a vulnerability in in their uh, open source password manager, uh, but there's some dispute over it. the The big difference from key pass and others is that KeyPass stores the database of passwords locally, not in the cloud. So they're not, the, the vault is not at risk of of uh, cloud breach. But um, so this question is about whether the master password is uh, vulnerable or not. Um, but it's the sort of thing that it's open source, people are going to bang on it, they're going to find the vulnerabilities, they're going to fix them, and they'll move on. So even if there is a vulnerability, uh, it will be repaired pretty quickly. So and then our last one, is kind of a weird one. Um, is company called 10 Minds, which is based in Korea, I guess, it has a pillow that detects snoring and automatically adjusts the sleeper's head to stop the snoring. And it's one of these memory foam pillows, and there's a like a Bluetooth connected device that listens to you as you sleep. And when it hears the snoring, it will inflate a bladder inside the uh, pillow. To tilt your head and tilt your head enough that you will open up the airways and uh stop the snoring um now a, a couple of things about this one you gotta go to the motion pillow website and look at the look at the website It is a trip it is the the in the video is really funny um but uh it's it's a i don't know the 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 bottom line too this pillow costs. would you pay $378 my wife would pay $378 to stop me from snoring but um, would you pay $378 for a pillow
2: would Alexa do anything for me with it
0: i don't think so
2: (laughs) no get a notification in the morning yeah Uh, i see you were snoring (laughs) last night well you might want to go to alexa uh, amazon's latest sale well yeah
0: yeah, father i don't think you this is not the product for you i guess this is not for someone who doesn't have someone who sleeps in the same room with you uh no one's gonna hear your snoring and uh complain i guess victor how about you benefits of celibacy yes
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't know. See, that's that's the thing, too, is like you have a problem and it's it's probably worth at least, you know, four hundred dollars for you to solve it. But if, if you're not sure this is going to solve it yes, or or like solve it permanently, you probably wouldn't spend the money on it. Like how long does an inflatable, you know, cl- like Bluetooth enabled pillow last? You <laughs> probably, <know? laughs>
0: probably longer than that ten thousand dollar apple. Watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah it's a I mean it's a good idea you know the other I just remember like you know obviously there are the breathe right strips that some people can wear I remember that that um I don't know if it was like a hammock or you know catalog or whatever though you know those those weird shopper
0: image yeah
1: I I remember this is what you know when I was growing up there there was a shirt that they were selling and it had like you know in the back of the shirt there was like this pocket sewn in and there was like I don't know a some sort of plastic mass or something in there and so that if you were sleeping and rolled over on your back, you know, it would be very uncomfortable because whatever was in this nightshirt would be poking into your back and that would cause you to to roll over onto your side and stop snoring. And you know, so that's maybe a low tech uh you know, option two is, is just, you know, so yeah. so something very uncomfortable into the back of your shirt. And, and
2: I'm sure I have some millennial per- parishioners um, who will tell you an essential oil that will um, solve that problem.
1: Oh, yeah. Just put <laughs> yeah. a diffuser. Just put a diffuser in your. Uh, <laughs> yes. But yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's probably lots of other things you can do. Like, is, is the air moist enough is, you know, yeah. You know. S- the
0: part of the problem, there is one flaw in this, is that it only works with people who are back or side sleepers. This does not help. If you are a, a stomach sleeper, as I am, uh, actually, I'm a roller, I, I'm all over, but um, if you if you at all sleep on your stomach, you can't use this pillow. This is not designed for that. It's one of those contoured memory foam pillows, which... I, I hate. <laughs> um, you can't actually get it on Amazon right now. It's just currently unavailable. I yeah. don't know if it'll be back in stock. Although Motion Pillow did win a CES Innovation Award this year. So they were at CES in 2023. So I don't know what the deal is. The the tech that doesn't exist conference. <laughs> yes. So, well, in 2022, and 20, they, they've they been around a while. They, they start like 2019, I think they were selling it. So I don't know what the deal is with them. Maybe they have uh, some supply chain problems so if you go go to their website see if you can get a hold of them see if you if you really want it Uh, i'll put a link to the website in the in the show notes because like i said it's a it's a it's a a hoot to look at Yeah,
1: reviews on amazon are mixed some people say it works uh one just the the title says i am wide awake in a quiet room and it moving my head (laughs) so if you ever wanted to lie awake in a quiet room and have a pillow move your head around from side to side this might be the uh (laughs) The I'm sure there's
2: a really entertaining review on Amazon somewhere <laughs> yeah. too.
0: Yeah. My uh my wife's a very light sleeper. This would wake her too. I think that would be that's
1: another person that wouldn't work for if you're a light sleeper. Yeah, I'm hoping it gets that doesn't sound like you know an air compressor like firing up, you know, in the middle of the night. <laughs> 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 oh
0: man. All right, let's uh enough of that silliness. Let us move on to our picks of the week and father, why don't you go first with your pick?
2: Okay, so my pick of the week, if you remember your older computers, you'd have what was called a PC badge, right? So on these, it would be like, it would tell you what version of Windows, right? So you knew that Windows ME was running on your Dell, or you would have the brand name of the computer. Sometimes you'd have the graphics card or the sound card that was inside of it. Um, And this was one of those um, classic things of retro computers, And as I've mentioned before, I collect retro computers and these are one of the things that goes bad. So my pick is I have this website that actually remakes and sells those, um, PC badges and it's called geek and spiel. They make them really well. They're domed. They make the domed ones and the flat badges. Um, the one I most recently got wasn't a retro badge, but a custom badge, my custom computer um i have fittingly named hal which if you know your 2001 space odyssey you get the yep. the joke there um and so this has the red eye of hal with the speaker and the label on it so the front of my computer um if you go on our discord i think i posted it on there the front of my computer Looks like Hal now because I was able to get the badges from that, and they are an affordable site like two ninety nine, three ninety nine for these stickers. I have my, I order my Windows and my Linux sticker. I have the classic Windows three point one sticker for my brand new computer that has Windows eleven on it, just because I like the Windows three point one sticker. <laughs> yeah. So good site if you're have some old computers you want to make look a little nicer
0: i kind of want to put one of these intel inside pentium stickers on my mac studio that would be yeah. kind of.
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> I do like how they have a lot of y2k stickers you know like make sure to turn off your pc or like you know safe from y2k <laughs> you know the stuff that we had back around that time yeah yeah oh, right i to- do
2: have i do have one of those back on my shelf the um y2k sticker yeah oh, man egghead software
1: oh yeah. wow it, like, yeah it
2: has a lot of your niche ones too that cyberdyne like
1: a- skynet yeah it's a trip down memory lane turtle yeah. beach
2: the guy who runs it really friendly guy so i want a beagle
0: brothers software uh, sticker
1: i don't know if anybody
0: remembers that that is a deep cut
2: (laughs) he does really good social media interaction so when you guys who do their custom uh, able to interact with him and post the pictures after you do it and does really good interaction and stuff so cool um just fun company too that he um doesn't just sell the product but interacts with his customers
1: after nice very good. I'll have to see if they have any like Silicon Graphics, you know, logos because I always wanted a Silicon Graphics workstation back in the day, and if SGI. I could just get a, st- if I could just yeah. get a sticker and put it on it.
0: <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> All right, Victor, what's your uh, pick this week? Yeah, so I've been, you know, doing a lot of uh, like 3D printing and a lot of um, you know the projects and stuff. Uh, I'm working on a couple of of you know clocks that use you know microcontrollers that are connected to the internet to set the time from, you know, over the internet and stuff. But a lot of it um and a lot of the models and action figures and stuff that I'm printing and putting together relies on, you know, parts that need to be glued together. And so um the one thing that I that I do have a lot of experience with is um CA glue or cyanoacrylic adhesive glue, which is basically what super glue and crazy glue is um only and you can buy them Uh, off amazon and in larger quantities larger is not always more desirable because the stuff does after a couple of months tend to harden up just from the you know exposure to the to the air and stuff so but even as fast as this stuff sets um which you know with the very thin stuff can be almost instantaneously the thicker stuff you know a few seconds like maybe 15 20 seconds it's enough time for it to you know either get on my fingers or for the parts to move and so I was watching, um, you know, Adam Savage's from, you know, Mythbusters, and he makes a lot of props, his YouTube channel. And he was talking about the, these accelerators that are basically um, chemicals that you kind of missed over where you've the parts that you've glued together and it sets up instantly. And so I've been trying this um, recently. And, yeah, it really does work you, you, when you have the two parts glued together, what usually you'd have to, like, hold for, you know, 20 or 30 seconds you just a couple of spritzes near it and the parts are instantly bonded together. So if you do any sort of crafting, um, you know, if, if you're, if you're building anything, making anything, uh, you know, and have been using a lot of CA glue, but haven't tried, um, you know, any, any accelerators, uh, you know, with the right, you know, eye protection and ventilation, they, they, they really do work. Awesome.
0: Very good. So my pick is an, a nice little thing I found Uh, that actually has helped my wife and I uh, a lot because we both have AirPod Pro, AirPods Pro. And as you know, the cases are, they look exactly alike. And one of the problems that we've run into often is uh while the cases will can you can do like uh, a kind of find my on the original airpods pro they don't have the find my feature like the airpods pro 2 we've got the original ones and so finding them when you lose them and you will lose them it can be problematic so we both i got air tags for each one and i've got found this case by alago who i really like they do these fun um little devices to help you with your Apple stuff. One of the things I have is a uh, Apple Watch charger that looks like an original iMac uh, that I use to charge my, my watch at night, which is really nice. And the, the screen of the watch looks like the screen of the of the iMac. It's a previous pick I, I have done. But this is a, a little 1199 case and it it's supposed to look a little bit like a camera. And where the AirTag goes is the lens. And so the AirTag kind of sits on the front of the case um, exposed. But we, I got the monograms on the uh, AirTag. So mine says Dom. I'm holding up for the guys on the camera. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it says Dom. And, you know, Melanie says Mel. And so that we can always know whose iPods are whose. And, and through for the case. So we can find them. They're protected. And uh, we can identify which is which. And so that's been really a nice little feature. And the case is $12. So it protects the iPod, the AirPods, and that sort of stuff. So. Um yeah, it's a nice little feature. All right, so, so that does it for us for this time. We would love to get your feedback. Think anything we talked about in our discussion, you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com/slash technology or the Starquest Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Starquest Media. Send an email to technology at sqpn.com or visit the Starquest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You'll find links from our discussion and picks of the week on our show notes at starquest.fm slash TEC199, Tech199. Remember to like each episode of Secrets of Tech on Facebook, retweet them on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and leave us comments wherever you'll find us. We love to hear from you. We'd like to thank James for research assistance in this episode. And until next time, Father Joseph's Son, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of technology. Hey, look, a balloon. Victor Lambs, thank you as well Thanks Dom And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest